0: If your child is that child on the stage this morning, you know the one that stood out maybe more than the rest of them. Take heart, I was that child. It could turn out pretty good. I'm not saying it's going to, but it's it's possible if you consider that I turned out. But um, we are glad that you're here this morning, particularly if you're uh, visiting with us. Um, one of the most inspirational poems. Um, that's a personal favorite of mine it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed and I'll be honest with you in the 25 years since I've come across this it's something that periodically uh, I look at and um, this is what it says it says I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed I have the Holy Spirit's power The die has been cast I have stepped over the line the decision has been made I am a disciple of Jesus Christ I won't look up let up slow down back away or be still my past is redeemed my present makes sense and my future is secure I am finished and done with low living sight walking small planning smooth knees colorless dreams tame visions, mundane talking, chinchy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence, lean by faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power my pace is set my gate is fast my goal is heaven my road is narrow my way is rough my companions are few my guide reliable my mission clear I cannot be bought compromised deterred lured away turned back diluted or delayed I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice hesitate in the presence of adversity negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, back up, let up, or shut up until I've preached up, prayed up, stored up, and stayed up the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, And work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own. He will have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. I love that. I always think uh, that uh, many times in life. In the Christian world. In our Christian walk. Sometimes we just need a little pep talk. And when the preacher needs a pep talk, that's one of the things through the year, years that I've looked at. And if we're talking about pep talks this morning, um, that is the way that I would uh, capture the essence of the section of scripture that we cover this morning. Uh, there are reference sheets out on your end of your pews in fact this Sunday I some of you have already discovered that I put the fellowship of the unashamed uh, on the back of that and so that you'll have a copy of that on the front as we have done in these Sundays during 2019 I've given you a reference sheet that uh, gives you some information and helps us get through some material uh, this morning and um, Brother Shane, this morning when we come to the section of scripture, the scholars would call this section of scriptures the general epistles. Uh, That's a very churchy word. Um, Let me put it in context and it's on your sheet. The New Testament is broken up into the books of history, the writings, and prophecies. Now the books of history are this. First, The life of Jesus, the history of Jesus' life, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you have the history of the early church, the book of Acts. And then you come to the section, the second section in the New Testament, the writings. They start with Paul because Paul is the most influential of the church starters and theologians in the first century. And We talked about this several months ago. We start with the longest book, uh, or the most influential book in Paul, Romans. And then it kind of goes down from there. First, it is his longest book that he wrote to church Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And then in Paul's letters, they put them in order of his writings to. individuals as we talked about church leadership last Sunday so you have 1st and 2nd Timothy Titus and Philemon and then you come to where we are this morning and we are going to like whoop blow through this ah uh, the general epistles these are the letters the writings that were not by Paul who is the dominant theologian but the other writers And they start this section by the longest book, Hebrews. And then you have James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude. And I wanted to give you this morning just a nugget, just a little bit. What was the sense of those letters after Paul? What was the big idea? And I would say this. That if Paul's big idea, and I I know he wrote about, and he's more significant than just one idea, but if you just had to get down to one thing with Paul, it would be that he, he taught about salvation by grace through faith. I would picture it as either the foundation, the starting point, or this morning I think I would even describe it as the starting line. When we, like Christian, come to the place in our life where we realize Jesus has died for our sin and God turns our heart to him, uh, we turn in faith and we place our faith in Jesus Christ and uh, we begin to follow him. Salvation is a beginning point. It is the starting line. Now there's something more and we'll get there shortly because you realize this is like the last Sunday of November and so we will be finishing up this next month as we've taken a 30,000 foot view of the Bible as a whole Uh, and we've talked about God's one big story Uh, and it is the story of redemption of how God when we rebelled and we decided to live apart from God that God began to redeem himself us back to himself and so man you just have this this big idea in Paul of salvation by grace through faith here it is when we come to those books Hebrews James 1st and 2nd Peter that's our slice this morning there is brother Gary an admonition because apparently my role from our Sunday school lesson this morning is to admonish you um, there's, there were probably other things said in life groups that don't need to be repeated, but Brother Gary confessed all of y'all's sins that were in his particular group this morning. Something about admonish and monster admonister. It's but anyhow, anyhow, I'm not you know I don't take that personal. Anyhow, but in this section of Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, when I began to look at that, what I realized, yes, the general theme was about the Christian life. But this is the admonition from the starting line, the foundation of salvation, the challenge, the admonition in these letters is live out your faith. Yes, and and we're going to be there soon to the book of Revelation and we're going to talk about eternity, but in this slice of the scripture, particularly It fills in the gap between that starting line and the finish line when our faith will be realized and all things will be made right. You realize there's so much space in between the starting line and the finish line and Hebrews, James, first and second Peter, and really first, second, third John and Jude are going to say the same thing In in that time phrase frame. The challenge of the scripture is live out your faith. And really, the the point is this. There's more to faith than just the starting point and the ending point. It's more than just getting saved and placing our faith in Jesus Christ. It's more than just our faith being finalized in heaven and glory and all of that. There's a bunch of space in between that God has a purpose and a plan for. Our faith is to be lived out. Amen. And uh, there is so much encouragement in this section of Scripture, and I wanted just to included wanted to include that on your sheet, and uh, you can see the summaries of Hebrews, James, and First and Second Peter. Um, if you haven't been here. This year, we're looking at the Bible in its entirety, and many times we get bogged down in the the minute details. This year, we're going, no, let's do a 30,000-foot flyover. And what are the big themes? What are the big movements? What are the big ideas? Who are the big characters? What is it that God does in his story of redemption? And uh, so my, my task is to kind of give you the big picture so you understand what the big picture is and I love the words of encouragement in this section of scripture let me just read these they're on your sheet but Hebrews says but exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and then later in Hebrews let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and then in James my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. In First Peter later, not what we'll look at today. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. And then in Second Peter, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot. And blameless words of encouragement um, between our salvation in heaven I thought about this week quite a bit what is it that happens what is it that happens to people that Start and, yes, have faith in Christ. But don't run that race. What is it that happens in their Christian experience? And, and quite honestly, there could, there could be a lot of answers at this point. And everybody's story is unique but my hunch is this life happens huh. and I, I don't want to say that flippantly but stuff happens and we may start in a very great place idealistic almost at the starting line but then life happens Maybe people are pulled down by their past or their people around them. Maybe they experience brokenness in life. I I don't know, whatever that looks like. Maybe people disappoint them, let them down. Maybe the church lets them down. Christians let them down. Maybe the devil gets in their head and lies to them and gets them off the road. Maybe, just over time, they get distracted by life and the things that go along with life. The encouragement that we look at this morning... Is to live out your faith. And I want you to notice. And I have just a little slice of scripture. I promise this morning. In First Peter. I gave you so much last week. I thought no, no. I'm, let me just give you a little slice. This is in First Peter 1. Verses 6 through 9. And I think for us. It's just kind of a bite size. Of the general epistles. And this admonition. To live it out. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter, after he's made his introduction, says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor and glory at the revelation of jesus christ whom having not seen you love though now you do not see him yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls there's a word in there (laughs) That we have to deal with. And it's in verse 6. When he says you have been grieved by various trials. That's the word that Peter uses. uh, That I described as what happens. Well, life happens. Trials happen. Now, the thing about this word is that it is a a general description of hardship, difficulty in life. It can encompass a lot of things, but I think it's one word that talks about that, okay, I set my course to run a race, but then I met opposition. Something came up whatever that was. And, and the race wasn't as fun as it was at the starting line. And we've described some of those things already. Uh, it could include this trials. So it's a general word about difficulties uh, in life. It could include sickness, illness. Um, it, it could include... Un- Another word that, Paul, uh, that Peter uses, uh, in fact, he uses it 16 times, I believe, in either 1st and or 2nd Peter, it is the word suffering. And that word suffering denotes, uh, and it, it's, it's a very prominent theme throughout Peter's writings, it, suffering denotes uh, problems of, of any sort. It is the reality of living in a fallen and broken world. You know, because sin entered the world, that was in Genesis chapter 3, way, well, that was way back in January, that there's a whole domino effect of what happens in life, and that relates to illness, broken relationships. It's people living... Uh, man, there's all kinds of wickedness. We see it on the news every day. We live in a messed up world. It's broken. And this word suffering denotes uh, that aspect of living in a broken world. But there's something else that goes further that, that Peter was really dealing with in his persecution. So it's not just that we live in a broken world, but once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, what you're going to discover is that the world is running the opposite direction from you. <laughs> you are swimming upstream. It's not just that you're running the race, and yes, there's some Christians that are running with you, but the reality is most of the world is running against you, and what you're going to discover is opposition. It's true in Peter's day, it is the context of what he writes. You realize if if there weren't trials that came up, Peter wouldn't have to write. Hebrews wouldn't have to be written. James wouldn't have to be written. No, because I became a follower of Jesus Christ and everything's just peachy keen and I'm just I'm just living out my time here having gospel impact in the world waiting for Jesus to take me home. Yeah, until it hits you in the face. Boom, that sounded good. It's not the world we live in. And so the reason they write is because there are trials. And the world is against you. There is suffering. There is illness. There are difficulties. Um, we live in a fallen world. And the ultimate expression of that is that the world is opposed to the things of God. And we've chosen to repent of our sins and turn and to walk in a different way. What Peter teaches us here in 1 Peter is that those trials test our faith. The admonition is that we are to live out our faith. Faith has a perspective in the midst of the trials and kind of the one truth that we've got to throw out. What Peter is teaching is that Trials test our faith. In fact, he uses a word picture here um, in verse 7. He says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the mental picture the word picture that Peter uses, just like gold is put in a a crucible and that is heated up to such a a temperature that the gold melts. And what happens in the midst of that process is that when the gold melts, the impurities are separated from the, the purity of the metal. Do you understand? So you understand, get this, if you have gold with impurities in it, the only way to get the impurities out is to heat it up to an incredible temperature so that it liquefies that the impurities might separate. It's the only way. In fact, I'm told that people that do this, you don't just do it once, but you do it repeatedly. And there's, there's more and more impurities surface. This is the picture. Peter says, your faith, when you believed in Jesus, when you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you trusted he's going to get you home someday, he said, between the starting line and the finish line, you just need to know that your faith is going to be put in a crucible of trial." Some of our trials look different. But we all live in a fallen world. There will be trials. Your faith, my faith, is put in a crucible. We have to decide when that heat comes on how we are going to respond. And we can respond with faith or we can respond without faith. I want to encourage you today, regardless of what your circumstances are, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is greater than your circumstance that you pass through. And your faith in Jesus is what overcomes the world. That's that's actually later in 1 uh, in John 5, 14, and this is what overcomes the world, our faith. Jesus is greater than your circumstance. Hear that today. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is as a believer, and that your faith is what allows you the ability to overcome whatever trials come your way. Faith is a perspective, and we can respond with faith or we can respond without faith. There's two things that I want to share of what Peter is teaching. And the first one is faith sees the purpose of the trial. Faith sees the purpose of the trials. God has a purpose, He has a plan, He has not forsaken us. There is a purpose for the difficulties we pass through. And there may be a number of purposes, but I know that the one purpose that he states here is that our faith might be purified. When our faith is put in the crucible and we start out our Christian journey, there are impurities. you understand? The only way those impurities can be dealt with are for us to experience the heat it's the only way the only way we can be purified we can be strengthened we can become more into the image of Christ is that if we see the purpose in the trial and it makes all the difference if I pass through an experience of life and I go, wait a second, why did God allow this to me and what is this about, then many times we respond, we look at our circumstances and we don't look at Christ and when our eyes are fixed on, on the circumstances, then we just go, I'm done. That's it. I, I don't know why this stuff is happening to me. Or do we look at it and we say, wait a second, no, Christ is bigger than this. You understand? You understand? You will either have faith in your circumstances, that it speaks to what the meaning of life is, or you will have your faith placed in Christ and understand that there is a purpose. The crazy thing is one of the ways that you will know that you have, through faith, seen the purpose of trials. He says it here, it's joy. You go, wait a second. How can I experience joy in the midst of difficulty? Because I know Jesus is in control and he's in charge and he has a purpose for this, that he is working together for good. So one of the ways you know that you're responding to life's trials through the eyes of faith and seeing the purpose in it is if you experience joy. Because it is, it, is the, it is the product of living in faith and seeing the purpose behind the trials. I think if we choose not to respond in faith and we see our circumstances more than we see Christ, I think many times in life what we try to do is we try to eliminate the heat. We go, wait, wait a second, I don't want to be in the crucible. I don't see the purpose in that. I'm going to get out of the heat In fact, in essence, what we do is we turn to worldly things for comfort and strength and things that ultimately will not satisfy us. Or we conform to the world. If we get tired of walking against the world, we just go, wait a second, not only did I stop, but wait a second, I'm starting to turn and walk with them. I I don't want to be in the heat. We take the easy way out. The second thing that I would share, the first one is that faith sees the purpose of trials. But secondly, faith sees the end of trials. You see this in the words that Peter writes here. What we realize in the midst of trials is there is a day that this world will end and eternity will begin. He alludes to this in verse 6 when he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. A little while, if need be, and then later uh, he talks about Well, In verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And in fact, if if the mark of seeing the purpose of the trials is joy, then the mark of seeing uh, through the eyes of faith the end of our trials, the mark is hope. And so the crazy thing for the Christian, when we place our faith on, on Christ instead of our circumstances, and when we look, we put faith in Christ instead of our circumstances, not only inexplicably will He give us joy. And He talked about that twice. In verse 6, He says, In this you greatly rejoice. Seriously? No. And then in verse 8, Whom you have not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. How is that possible? Because Christ is greater than my circumstances. And the admonition of the scripture is keep living the Christian life. Live it out in faith. Because there's purpose in it, but someday this life will end. And the end result is that Christ will take us home. And so it's it's not just in my mind that someday there's going to be an end to this and just like hunker down. Boy, just get through. It'll be over soon. This is nothing compared to eternity. And all of that is true. But here's the other thing that I get. Maybe the most powerful thing is someday, as a person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you will stand before, and I will stand before God. And the question will be, What is the quality of my goal? You see, if God takes your faith and he puts it in the crucible and you go, "Mm, not really interested in the heat, I think I'm just going to kind of take the easy way out, then what are you left with? Goal that is impure. And the picture you get here is that someday you're going to stand before God. God what do you in the admonition of the scripture why do we live it out because someday god's going to make a a value judgment on the gold and did in the midst of the crucible of the trials of life did you allow it to melt you and God to skim out the impurities so that trial after trial in whatever episode you find yourself in God just kept refining you more into the likeness of Christ and so that someday you stood before him. And I'm not saying we're perfect. We're only made perfect by what Jesus Christ does for us. But there's more to the Christian life than just starting and ending. And in the midst of it Jesus is purifying us through the trials, episode after episode, event after event. I want to close with this. I love the prayer that Peter prays at the end of 1 Peter. This is 5.10, chapter 5, verse 10. This is his prayer. He says, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In fact, the implication of that verse is you cannot be perfected, established, strengthened, or settled unless you pass through the suffering because suffering... uh, purifies us into the image of Christ if we will allow our lives to stay in the crucible. So many other words of admonition in in these letters of just stay pure, stay steadfast, be holy. All of those words, man, just stay there and continue to look to Christ in faith. So this is my challenge to you, is that if you have started the journey, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come your way as if something strange has happened to you. No. God has a purpose and a plan for that. He is working in your life. Um, That's what he wants to do. Don't give up. Don't stop. The reality is there's other people watching you, and it's better if we all take the journey together and we work together, but I want you to think of as we close, and we're going to do something different at the end this morning. This is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and um, I want you to think about some Christian brothers and sisters, or maybe somebody else in life. That their trials, their heats, a little bit more than yours. And I want us to pray for those people today. Uh, This is what I want us to do. In just a second, we're gonna we're gonna this is gonna be the invitation time. And Shane, oh he's already coming. All right, our our worship team can come. We're gonna break up into prayer clusters, and someone in your prayer cluster who feels comfortable praying. If you don't feel comfortable praying, don't pray. But I I just want one person to pray. I want you to find a group of five, six, I don't know, if you're up to 12 or 13, you're starting a church. We don't want a church started here. We just want a little prayer group, okay? Just five or six, seven or eight of you, and just turn and hold hands, and there may be some people's names that you just want to mention this morning to say, would y'all pray for so and so? Now, the understanding is, let's pray for everybody in the circle, and you may want to say something, man, this this is my first Thanksgiving. Whatever. And y'all just pray for me. But I want this to be a time of encouragement where we pray for one another and uh, we pray for some people that aren't here today, not in our circle. I I don't know where they are in your life. Um, But just encourage. And this is going to be our time of invitation. I'm going to be at the front uh, and we'll kind of wait and see how it all finishes up. But if you want to come and pray with me or come to the altar, you're welcome to do that. This is going to kind of be a free time. Uh, But someone in your circle that feels comfortable praying out loud, uh, after y'all have just shared names or whatever, just briefly, okay? Uh, Just say, would y'all be praying for so-and-so or pray for me this holiday season, whatever it is. Uh, And could we just encourage one another today to keep living out our faith because Christ is greater than our circumstances. Amen? And our victory over the world is our faith in Christ. So would you just find a group, some of you may have to move.